Hello, and welcome to another episode of Justice Rising, where we explore how we can work towards liberation, healing, and transformation one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Samantha Anity. What would happen if our Lenten practice invited us to transform the way we see ourselves and the church? What if we stepped into the doors of the church and were able to see ourselves and our neighbors in the pews next to us depicted in sacred icons? On part two of our three-part Lenten series, I sit down with iconographer Kelly Latimore and discuss how iconography provides us a means to enter into communal and personal prayer. Kelly Latimore started painting icons in 2011 while he was a member of the Common Friars from 2009 to 2013. His collective work is about being more connected to ourselves, each other, and our surrounding community and the land. Kelly, thanks for being part of this process. Do you call yourself an artist or an iconographer? or How do you frame the work that you do? Usually both, typically artists and involved in a lot of other work other than iconography but iconographer really is just like icon image and then the ographer part of writer so image writer but i typically say i'm painting icons because honestly that's what i feel like it is and it is anyway personally but i think one of the other interpretations of the greek of iconographer is in, in depictor of life so i think that's pretty true to the goal of any artist, whether it's musician, a poet, or the visual arts, is you're really just trying to pay attention and to pick life in, in a way that's beautiful and that other people can relate to. And that takes many forms for sure. But with iconography, it's a very specific form where you're depicting lives of the saints or Jesus and telling different stories through images. So a very specific form of that. I often forget that we say that an icon is a written form of prayer, which is so counterintuitive because it's visual. And I feel like visual art almost brings us into a different kind of space. How would you describe that process? In terms of words, in that sense, like one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, she used to say, writing poetry is trying to write down what can't be said, or mm-hmm. is in a sense that like, with painting, there is a perspective there that in like photography or videography, you're, it's a unique point of view. It's a unique perspective onto in the sense of iconography, a person or Christ or what have you, Mary. And so for me, I think it is something where it is, it's like a holy pondering per se, <laughs> just in the same way as you're trying to find the cult instead of words or trying to find the right word, or it more so manifests itself in metaphors and symbols and color and you know, light, all of these very artistic things but at the same time like how are those just being used to to create an image that is true in the sense that it's just exactly what it should be and is true in a way that it helps people in terms of icon see in a new way or see something in a new way when it comes to iconography and I think why it it is really interesting that it's a very communal art and so specifically for commissioned work 
or work that I've collaborated on with my partner, Evie, which she's been vital in a lot of these images that have gotten created, is that it, it comes to a place where there's so many voices and other points of perspective coming into one piece and one image and trying to cobble together all of those and weave them together into this kind of tapestry of image that communities can use of, say, of Christ as a good shepherd, per se. And why does the community want that image in their space? What does that say about how they are in the community? For instance, like the Good Shepherd, the icon I did of the Good Shepherd was for a church called the Good Shepherd in a farming community. Wow. It's obvious why they would want such a thing. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a farming community. That makes the story mm-hmm. even more personal. There's a lot of farmers in it, but in that community, but for them, it's just how does this metaphor is Christ as a good shepherd influence how they are in the world and how they are in their community and how they respond I mean, share food. And it's a very impoverished area that church is in. And even a, a simple image like that can actually help us learn how to see and the voices that go into it can be a very, and for me as the artist is very, if, if I'm awake enough and can say, pay attention enough is really um, vital to me too. And encouraging to go and see these kind of specifically commissioned icons and all the voices that are involved in seeing um, things in a new way, a new perspective. You're giving me a new perspective now because I've always thought of art as being communal in the sense that when I go to an art museum, there's a gathering of people and we're drawn to specific pieces. But it's also strange because it's very personal and it's very intimate, like how we interact with particular pieces and what we're drawn to. Have you ever, I imagine, because you create art that, in my opinion, maybe disrupts our image of the divine or changes the conversation a little bit. Have you received negative feedback or pushback from people? Or has anyone ever said anything that that you created is... (gasps) sacrilegious or yes so just more directly you see plenty of those kind of i like to call them spiritual death threats almost and literal ones oh my gosh well and literal death threats in the sense that like people very violent in their language and images like the trinity that i've done but also the sacred of familia which is depicting the holy family in a modern context as Latinx immigrants fleeing um, mm. their home, and they're obviously seeing that image and and, um, and projecting onto it their own context. I po- purposely leave it open ended in a sense. I know what I meant by it, but <laughs> the viewer—that's the viewer's work that they have to do. And I think that's—I think what icons can do is what all art can potentially do, which is create more dialogue. Not only dialogue within our communities, but also that inner dialogue that these, you know, people are having and then going online and sending to me. Several, several of the ones that the threats and, and comments have been terrible, but I really think just like with art, hopefully they both responses can be good in the sense that seeing Christ depicted as a young immigrant in his mother's arms. How does that then translate to pondering where Christ is here and now? And I think that's the point in the work that I want to do with icons is what 
what places among us here and now is God in plain sight, like right mm-hmm. in front of us? For my spirituality and my theology, we all, we don't get to pick and choose who doesn't have the divine light, the divine uh, likeness within them, the Imago Dei, as it's called in Latin. But then we don't get to pick and choose that. And so I think these people who are sending me these things is that they feel like they need to protect God in some sense. But the thing is, God doesn't need protecting. That's not our job. And so for me, I I think it's just that classic imagery of with the images just laying down seed and maybe just by someone seeing this and through dialogue within themselves, but then also their own communities, maybe they can be able to receive things in a new way and think about things in a new way and it'll affect them down the road. I'm not saying this is a fact, but I guarantee probably that most of the people that are saying these things have never met a young immigrant across from a bonfire or actually spoken to people and why they're coming to and fleeing their home country and their hopes, their dreams, their fears. And so I think if they knew these people, they wouldn't be issues anymore. They'd actually be faces and real people. That's I think that's hard for certain individuals to do. But and I think that God and the divine Christ appears in different ways and different forms. As I'm often struck by in scripture how like even Jesus wasn't recognized after the resurrection, or maybe he was like enshrouded with maybe a head covering or something and people didn't even recognize him who was his closest friends. And that kind of shows us how different our image of the divine, our encounters with the divine can be so diverse. And I think what's very compelling about your work specifically is because even with within myself, I had to, with certain pieces, I had to be like, oh, why am I responding this way and then sit with that for a while and then realize oh i've been given an image of god through classical renaissance art and who held the story of that time oh the people who had the power at the time and so it's like predominant white european imagery so it's like challenging us to to ask that question who gets to be seen and in a holy, like a holy or sacred light. I know one of the pieces that the internet seemed to lose its marvels over was your depiction, uh, like right after George Floyd was murdered publicly. And we saw this in, in, on all of our social media outlets, and news me- outlets, and you depicted the mama piece. And you're pointing us to how was Jesus executed? It was a public execution. People watched and um, spectated. And, and so you're drawing us into these challenging spaces that kind of challenge or disrupt our notion of who's who holds the cards, who's in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's interesting about the mama icon is that a lot of people, I got many messages just is that are you depict is this George Floyd or Jesus? Mm. And our answer that we came up with that along with my mentor, we talked about it for a long time and, and my partner Evie. And it seemed like the best answer to that question was yes. <laughs> and that kind of non answer, I think and the fact that they're asking that question is part of the problem. And that 
again, like you're saying, like Jesus was a, a man of color who was unjustly murdered by the state. Like it's the comparisons there are similar. George Floyd had that Imago Day within him, despite the worst things he may have ever done. Like he is beautiful as a person, as a human being. And with that image, again, it came that communal nature of it, of hearing, trying to process, I think for us, the tragic death of George Floyd. That, but how do we then come to a place where as communities make sure that this doesn't keep happening? And so is it really an image to mourn that, but also to push us towards change and push us towards seeing our communities in a new way and seeing where we're not as the church not um, engaging enough with some of these conversations around social justice and specifically the deep pain that communities are in and people are in. How did you get into this this work and what inspires you to keep creating these pieces? First, I think that is my job now. I'm 35, but I think it's my job with most things. It's like, to really stay inspired and that does take and it takes a lot of habit i fail at it a lot but there's some days where it the work pays off like trying to stay inspired and not just be like doing farming or going on walks with my partner like doing other things to continue to get grounded but in that sense of groundedness that's where i started i i worked in a a food pantry farm in Athens, Ohio for five years. And a part of that farm was actually a community called the Common Friars. And so it was a religious community of men and women, lay and priests and single and couples. And our um, main mission was growing food for food pantries and it took place at the Good Earth. And my friend and, and one of the founders of the community, Paul, used to, to, used to say, how do we be people as we're like farmers and tending the earth and growing food for, for people, like how do we be people, Jesus would say, that considers the lilies of the field. So I was always in my head and our, another friend of mine who's a priest, Tom, had asked me, had I ever painted icon before? And I hadn't. And I'd always been painting. He had seen that. And I was thinking about what my friend Paul said, and, and I thought that would be a great first icon. So I just tried to paint an icon and it's Christ Consider the Lilies. And it's not a, if you see it, it's not a very good icon. It was a good first try. But Christ is almost like shocked the way that I painted it, like shocked that the lilies are in his hand and the lines are shaky. But what was interesting about it is that the community embraced it and they framed it and hung it on our wall in our prayer space, even though I didn't think it was a great <laughs> icon. But for them, I think what that did it was really meaningful, but it showed me how art, but specifically icons, can be a placeholder for our community's thought and prayer, but most importantly, and like what you've been saying, our action. And the ways that we help each other to see and pay attention. And so how can the art in our communities and that we're placing before us just help us to teach each other how to see the pain that's in front of us? Or maybe depicting someone or a saint who lived a life of compassion and say of St. Francis and caring for the poor and lepers and orphans and widows. And how by seeing the image and placing it before a community continue, continues to enlight, uh, 
light a spark within us to then go out and do the same. And so I think that's hopefully the art that I can to pick. And I'm not the only one doing it for sure, but then how do you take these kind of modern metaphors and these things that are happening before us and create these kind of new images that, that continue to do that same thing. The people that are inspiring us that live are living even here now. So it's a mixture of all of that, but I think that was my starting place is and then I continually, when you're doing art, you're sometimes always up in the clouds. And so being able to be more grounded and doing simple things like planting a little flower, a little bed in our backyard, it helps me. But that's where I really started was just in a sensing a need in our community for an image that we had talked about a lot. Your work, what communities do you interact with? So the... I've done everything from a lot of the work has been from just my own work and process of coming up with images. My partner, Evie, has come up with many images. The, the mama icon started from her. Let's take it Familia was part of our own conversations during the, in 2016, when there was all this rhetoric against, bad rhetoric against immigrants. But largely, uh, the commissioned work is coming from all manner of different individuals and different with different spiritualities and different denominations across the church which is again that part of iconography that i really love is being able to interact with all of these different people and the relationships that have been formed that i would me and evie and i would have never had i not taken on some of these commissions and so i really think that's Ultimately, it, it is art and it's important and I'm so grateful for the work that I do, but it wouldn't mean much without the relationships that make life worth living. So right. um, I think that's the part I need to continually come back to is and I feel so lucky that I get to, through the commission work, be involved with other communities and and really process with them what they're thinking about and what images they the way that they want to be in the world and be as communities of faith and how they want to form themselves to to be not only as, in, as a worshiping body, but also in the world. So what's your hope or your dream or your imagining for, for the church, for people of faith, for the world, for yourself and in, in the working of all of, of this that you create? My hope, and I think this is really the work of not only of what it means to be an artist, but also just being human is I, my hope is that communities of faith in the church just learns how to be here mm-hmm. and to be, but to be more present. And so I think we need to continually ask questions centered around how we be more present, like what practices, what liturgy, Things that are happening in our liturgies, uh, in our the ways that we're using our building, like sometimes it can get so daunting to deal with all these questions. But I think they're vital in terms of learning how to be, what things are going to really foster more relationship and not separate us from people. <laughs> and I, I think that's the biggest question for me as an artist is how does this image going to aid in creating more dialogue and aid these communities being able to, to have a conversation and to be here, to be present. 
And I think sometimes the church can get lost in itself a little bit too much. But its work is to be itself, though, at the same time. So it's like this kind of juxtaposition there. But I think ultimately the work of iconography has been, has created this conversation that I think that we just need to continually have. As me as the artist, I've get, gotten to have that a lot in different communities. But it's just my hope that I can continually through these images and through this work, just meet more people and mm. be able to be a conduit to provide more different spaces and images that are just going to foster connection and foster more ways for us to see God in the world, to see, really understand who we are and who our neighbors are. And that's just a lifelong work. But I just hope that I can uh just continue the work of this can just create more opportunities to do that for me and my partner Evie and my own community. Yeah, I think that what you said is uh, really poignant. I think people uh, forget that the church is here and now, it's past, present, future, and these people of faith are our encounters with each other. I think is like how what shapes um, and influences how we experience God and these sacred encounters. I'm just curious, going back to, you talked about the sacred imagery and how it challenges us. Was there a piece that you created that challenged you? Yeah. The one piece that I think about a lot is, I tell this story pretty often, but it's worth it because I had started one, it was one icon, it's called Christ the Pantocrator, which is a pretty well-known icon. It's, or another way to say it is Christ the Teacher, and where he's holding a sacred text and um, getting a, a peace sign. And I had started that, and I didn't really like it. It didn't go very well. I was really struggling with image, and this is ridiculous, but I ended up calling it Baby Hands Jesus because Baby I had painted hands. his, I had painted his hands like way too tiny, and the size of the board, it just like didn't fit and it was like frustrating. And uh, I just one day I just set it on the shelf and not thought about it for a while, like two years. <laughs> and then I ended up taking it, finding it and taking it down and was trying. I had some new gold leaf. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to test it on this icon because I don't like it anyway. And so I did that. And when I did it, because of all the layers of paint and me struggling over it, Christ's face still, if you saw it from the right perspective, you it was his face was raised and you could see it so if it was far away it looked like a plain gold leaf board but if you oh. got close you could actually see the face of christ and i had finished it and i showed two uh, friends of mine who are priests and they said oh that's the cloud of unknowing oh that's i was like what's okay what, what's the cloud of unknowing and you know proceeded to tell me it was this fourth this 14th century book by an anonymous author mm-hmm. that the main point of it was that when we knowledge can only get us so far but really the the point of the book and the thing is that we always have the potential for knowledge but the more that we put god under a cloud of forgetting and a cloud of unknowing that we'll never know enough that we'll understand the more we'll understand god through our heart and i thought that, that was a perfect name for that icon so it became something that I would have never have dreamed of or thought of. Um, and it really took my community, these two priests, to name what that piece was for me to see it. 
And I think that's what I've been saying this entire time is that like we need each other to see, help each other to see the divine among us. And, and it's taken my own community to even name and help me to see that within my own work. And I'm eternally grateful for that. So that's so interesting how it's like two people saw the same thing and were like, this is the cloud of unknowing and naming that particular book. And then you're like, oh, this is what this is. Because it's really interesting when we had, we used your piece, The Trinity, as the front cover of our publication, A Matter of Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the conversation among staff was like, what is this? Are these three guardian angels? Are they three women? Are they the the divine and when the title came out the trinity it was it's like can we put that title keep the title or just keep your name like credit your name do we what do we do so i I love the conversation that it brings because it's like stirring something and it's like i don't want to like move away from that i want to lean into the disruption and the discomfort that sometimes can occur and be like what is it our understanding of sacred imagery or the, the divine is being disrupted and it's okay this issue is on on women and leadership in the church specifically the question of in the catholic church at least um opening up the diaconate to women right oh yeah. no <laughs> what um and then we have stories about women that share their that have shared their pathway of ordination this was the calling that i've had and so even sitting with like i was the first female pastor after decades and so i think that's what this piece and other pieces do i think it brings the conversation reimagining our encounters with maybe scripture or image or our conversations that we have with god of can we imagine something else can i tell a brief story i think it'll help for just continuing down around this line of thought but when i was in ohio there was this other he had passed by the time i heard this story about him but it was another landscape painter named harlan hubbard across the river in kentucky and a small baptist church had asked him they had heard he'd done landscape painting and they asked him to paint a painting above the baptismal of the jordan river in, in Israel and but instead he punked them and instead of painting the Jordan River he painted their own Ohio River oh. <laughs> and I like that story because I think it was really Harlan saying that congregation are you looking for a holy river are you looking for one the Ohio is your holy river hey. are you looking for Christ like Christ go walk around your neighborhood and you'll find him and I think that's the sacred art and the work that's going to make an impact today is really going to do just that. And again, I'm not the only one doing it. There's writers doing it. There's so much poetry and other um, art forms, music that are, are doing this work. But I think that's going to help us to really move in a direction that I don't want to say move forward, but it's more of like it's going to awaken something within us that I think that is really, again, just helping us see in a new way. And really, in that cloud of unknowing, realize that this is the work that we have to do as communities is to constantly just ponder this and and 
hopefully through that and, and through the peaceableness of that, <laughs> that we come to a, a place that just these decisions make sense and are out of love and, and care and yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that idea of the cloud of, of unknowing because there's things that we don't like. That's part of the beauty of like of this whole sacred mystery is we don't have all the answers. We don't know. There's the here and the now, the in-betweenness of it all. And we can't, that's part of the process is right. We, we don't have all the answers. And so we might not know them here on an earthly plane. Maybe we'll know them later. But that's part of the process of things will be revealed in due time. And that's the mystery. And we're so uncomfortable with that. We're so uncomfortable because I'm trying to process this myself. Is is this individualistic culture? Is it because of we're products of capitalism? Is it all of the above? Check all the boxes. But I think um, sitting with attention, there's like beauty in that. We don't want to. but Yeah. No, it's true. Even like the word democracy, like it, it's the way that we do it really isn't a democracy, not to get like too political, but it's more about consensus. And with consensus, it's not majority rules. It's actually like coming to a place where everyone like understands one another in a way that like you're moving forward because you finally can. And it's not about speed. It's not about any of this stuff. It's about peace, like true, like peaceable living. And that I think that's really hard for us to work through, not only in relationships, but in communities. And I think it's really possible. And But that takes, it takes listening. It takes understanding. It takes actually seeing someone and understanding their story. Like it's work, it's slow work. And when you're paying attention to one thing, you're resisting paying attention to something else, which is very basic, but it's actually very profound. <laughs> and like, how do you do that? And I think that that's sing this little cow's girl, come on. But I think art really can help us do that. Mm-hmm. Help us in- enter into a space of sacred listening. And attention, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing us into this space of listening and your prophetic vision. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. And I really appreciated talking to you. Where can we follow your work? So just my, my full name, Kelly Lattimore, icons, one word.com. But I'm also on you know, the social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, under the same name. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time as I talk with Reverend Dr. Mark Bozzetti-Jones when we discuss the universality of God. Don't miss the conclusion of this Lenten journey, so be sure to hit the subscribe button and listen on Spotify, Apple, or Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.